0: Picture it. Marriage, an architect, or crime for a few examples. Did you picture it through a gay lens? We didn't think so. Society associates most things through heterosexual norms, but what happens when it's looked at
1: differently? Every week, we examine different situations, peoples, and events to challenge the status quo. Join us in creating a space that allows you to access a new wealth of knowledge and representation for the LGBTQIA community and its achievements as well as its struggles.
0: Hi, I'm your co-host, Jamie Wildgoose.
1: And I'm Austin Pellegrin-Webb.
0: And thanks for tuning in to Queers, Queers in, in Your
1: ears. ears. Welcome back, Jamie.
0: And welcome back, Sir Austin. And welcome back, Queer Wigs. And welcome back to another (laughs) fruitful episode of Queers Queers in Your Ears. Ears. Emphasis on fruit. And we are so excited to bring the fruit bowl to you guys today to talk a little bit about gay slash golden area. I have a golden area. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Gay and gold era Hollywood. And what i'm going to bring to the table today is i want to focus on two stars in the golden age of hollywood to discuss their sexuality and something has to do with a little bit about the lavender scare
1: (gasps) which we've covered on a previous episode if you haven't heard it you're not a real queer wig go back and figure it out and we do
0: recommend that you go listen to because it gives you a little bit better understanding of where we're coming from today so the first gentleman that i wanted to talk about was a man named william haynes he was born charles william haynes on january 2nd 1900 in staunton virginia he was the third child of George Adam Haynes, who was a cigar maker, and Laura Virginia Haynes, who was a the homemaker. They're making so much in the hands household. making so much. He had two older siblings who died in infancy, and then he was preceded by four younger siblings, Lillian in 1902, Anne in 1907, George Jr. in 1908, and Henry in 1917. So... You can say that his family was in the process of making children.
1: Oh, they were in the business of making children, it sounds like.
0: <laughs> they almost were, you know, a, sh- a couple short of having their own sports team. But which sports team? Actually, no, they were. Because five. Five is sports teams, right? No. No, I think it's seven. Is.
1: No, maybe... I don't... I'm oh, so gay, I don't know We anything. can't do math, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... William was a young religious fellow. He worshipped at Trinity Episcopal Church, and he later became a part of the choir. And at the ripe young age of 14, he decided to run away, not by himself, but with another young man. (gasps) Oh! And they ran away to Richmond, and then to Hopewell.
1: Wait, Richmond, Virginia? Yes, and then to Hopewell,
0: Virginia. And they both got jobs working at the local DuPont factory, which was producing nitrocellulose, which was a highly flammable compound, for $50 a week.
1: That sounds really familiar. What did they use that compound in? I'm not really sure. In
0: my research, it was kind of very confusing with the scientific... It's okay. We're gay. We don't need to think about it. We just look pretty. (laughs) So his parents... Um, actually were really distraught about where he was, so they tried to track him down, and after endless searching, they found him, but instead of returning home, he stayed and sent money home to the family to support them. He remained in Hopewell until 1915, when most of the town was destroyed due to a fire, and in that instance, he relocated to New York, and he left a short while after arriving to support his family after the family business failed, And his father became mentally ill.
1: So he really bounced around and then hit hard times. Yeah, he did really bounce around.
0: But fret not, he returned to New York in 1919. And he settled into the suburb of Greenwich Village. So he is...
1: It's Greenwich. And he's 19 years old?
0: No. So he... Oh, he is. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes! You did mad! Look at you! I am so good! So he's 19, he's in Greenwich Village, and his father has passed now. No, his father... Actually, I'm not sure. Okay.
0: Um, it could have been his father did pass, or it could have been that his father um, was stable enough that he no longer needed to support the family back at home.
1: Okay, Ron. Okay, I'm there.
0: So, talent scout Bijou Fernandez <gasps> discovered Haynes as a part of the Goldwyn Pictures New Faces of 1922 contest, and he became a model and was signed to the studio for $40 a week. He then traveled to Hollywood in 1923 with the fellow contestant winner, Eleanor Boardman. Hmm. And, you know, in being in Hollywood, he found himself being an aspiring actor. And in his early career, he landed multiple small roles until he was cast in the Midnight Express in 1924.
1: So essentially he won a competition to be, like, headhunted, Well, he basically won a competition
0: of a new aspiring actor, but it did not hurt that he was a very strapping young lad. Do you have pictures? I don't, but... Don't worry about it. I can supply this. I think I actually did um, pull this picture down just for reference. For me, he kind of gave that vibe of he was that old Hollywood glamour where he was clean cut, Mm -hmm. always put together. Right, always in a suit, probably.
1: Um short of a suit I would Mm. say this is what he looked like oh hot yeah fully for the 20s I'm sure he was like hot shiz
0: well he was that very like stereotypical man of what you would want he didn't have any I feel like outlying features to me he seems like he was very generic a little bit however he was very clean cut and he really gave to me an air of like Oh, in and I'm sorry, to our listeners in this picture, we're looking at him, like, like, kind of in later years. Um, But he was that very stereotypical of
1: what you would aspire to look for in a man. Yeah, he's just like a man's man. Like, a generic, like you said, man-man. From the picture. And he's soft on the eyes. So yeah, and, and I... Well, he's can't very go soft on the eyes. I want to say, though, in the 20... This is 22. What a time to be alive in New York City. He was in Hollywood. That's what I said. So, what a time to be alive in Hollywood. 1922, well, ring the ding ding This um, is the time. I retract my statement. You were correct. He was discovered in, in New York. Yes. He yeah. was, in
0: 1922, he was discovered, but that launched his career to move to Hollywood. And through the Midnight Express, he was offered a contract um, by Columbia Studios, but he actually ended up turning them down. And he would later solidify his career with the movie Brown of Harvard in 1926.
1: Was that with MGM as well?
0: That I can't say. Hmm. That was just a film that was produced. um, But he was a contracted worker for the Goldwyn Pictures Mm -hmm. at that point. And in 1926, um, I believe he was bouncing back and forth from Hollywood to New York. As one does, I feel like, when you're a starlet. That's a natural movement, I think. And when he was in New York, he actually met his future partner, who was named James Jimmy Shields. Wait, he's gay? He is gay. I'm just gonna. If you didn't know. <laughs> Catch up, sweetie. So they met in New York after Haynes convinced him to move to Hollywood, where he would find work. And they soon started living together and viewed themselves as a committed couple. Mm. But to outside eyes, they were just two bachelors living together as friends.
1: Right. They're roommates, bro. Yes.
0: And Haynes continued to improve upon his career, becoming a top five box office star from 1928 to 1932. It's a long time. It is indeed a long time. However, he was very instrumental in the transition from silent films to talkies, as what they were called, (gasps) he transitioned very smoothly. Hmm. And his career came to a head in 1933 when Haynes was arrested in a YMCA, with a sailor he had picked up in Los Angeles, Pershing Square, which was a small public park. He was cruising. So what I have read, actually, he was out for a stroll with Jimmy. He wasn't picking oh. up any anybody, but Jimmy actually was a sailor at one point, so they just equated it to oh. him cruising. Okay, got it. And MGM Studios found out at this time, and the studio gave Haynes an ultimatum. It was either you choose a career in which you choose a lavender marriage, which is a marriage that was arranged by the studios to allow actors and actresses the safety of keeping their sexual orientation private so they could keep producing films. Or he
1: chose Jimmy Shields and their relationship. So essentially they were like, you can marry a woman and pretend to be straight and keep living your gay life, but you have to be secret about it, and you can keep your job that way. Or you can live your true identity with the man you love, and you don't have a job here anymore. Yes. Horrible. And I have a question to ask you.
0: I'm ready. If you were faced with the same ultimatum, what do you think you would choose in 1933? in
1: 1933, I probably definitely would have chosen the lavender marriage. You have to understand at some point that just like he probably, did he, okay, hold on. What did he do?
0: (laughs) No, I'm not going to give you that. Well, here's
1: why I say that because it's 1933 and if I'm famous enough to have money stream in my, you know, you know, in my pocket, I'm going to take it. There's not the same public perception of acceptance for gay people at this time. It's a much more grave time. So I don't want to sit here and pretend that I'd be like some like, I'm out and I'm proud and I'm going to live my life in the thirties and I'm going to suck dick and not going to apologize for it. That probably wouldn't have happened. I would have been too terrified.
0: For my life.
1: And I think that's a fair and a statement that I shouldn't be shamed for.
0: (laughs) I am not going to shame you on that front. But I do think if it was me, Mm -hmm. I would probably have chosen the latter.
1: Interesting. I mean, I would like to say that I would, but I don't think I would have in 1933. In 1933, Jamie Wild Goose, you would have chosen...
0: Yes, I would have. Because at the end of the day, my job isn't going to make me happy. The person that I'm with is going to make me happy. And whether that dictates I need to find a different career, so be it. And you know what? Haynes did just that. He decided (gasps) to choose his relationship over his career. And in choosing his relationship with Shields, they created a relationship that lasted 47 years. Good for them. He must have really loved
1: that man. Oh, he did.
0: Oh, uh, I'll get to that. So, at this point, Haynes was fired from his contract, and he continued to appear in smaller films, but ultimately left the spotlight to try his hand in interior design. And Haynes and Shields became partners not only in life, but in business as interior designers and antique dealers. They were able to retire in the early 1970s and lived a happy life till their remaining years. And from my understanding, it was... That they actually were coveted interior designers. So if you wanted to get something done... They were the best. These were the two people at sea. And they were actually very revered. People oh. held them in very high regard. Um, one of the main people that I kept see surfacing was Joan Crawford. She... Makes total sense. Yeah, she kept him like, I'm going to refer you to all my friends.
1: She's like, like, I'm redoing my bathroom next Thursday. I'll pay you double. And Haynes was there. Amen. And so, they were able to live together
0: peacefully until December 26th, 1973, um, when Haynes actually died due to lung cancer at the age of 73. Soon after, Shields overdosed on sleeping pills, committing suicide, and his suicide note read, and I quote, Oh no. Goodbye to all of you who have tried so hard to comfort me in my loss of William Haynes, whom I've been since since 1926. I now find it impossible to go it alone. I am much too lonely. He died of a a broken heart. He did die of a broken heart. Because they were together for 47 years.
1: Yeah, I I, want to add an addendum to my statement, which was, if I was really in love with someone, then yeah, I would leave my job for sure. And I think... But if it was just a sailor, sweetie, no. I think
0: for Hands and Shields, it was... It was real love. It was love it in was general. It was real love. And it was an ultimate you know, like... Not only in your, sol- like your social life, but it affects everything. And if you aren't willing to sit down, you need to stand up for what's right. And just think about how many other closeted gay men there were. And he might have wanted to be the first one to be like, it's okay to come out.
1: Well, do you think it was just the idea of being the first, or was it the idea of just being someone strong enough to say it in the first place? For me, I think it was to just to be the first person
0: to say it hmm. strongly enough, because at 14, he wasn't afraid of his sexuality. He didn't see it as an obstacle to overcome, as you know, mainstream society has made it. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's something that
1: should be cherished, because he was able and lucky enough to find the love of his life. In a very difficult time to do so for a man of his status, of a gay man. And they weren't only together in life, but they were actually buried together in the Woodlawn Memorial Cemetery. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. In and Virginia, right?
0: So, Woodlawn Cemetery is in LA. Okay, gotcha. Um, I believe it's one of the famous... I think so. I think it was, yeah. ...for stars. And his legacy is still apparent today. He was one of the first stars, or actually was the first in the 20th century, not only to be not afraid, and he lived out and proud. He turned down the norm of lavender marriages, which was something that was heavily relied on in the social climate of the golden age of Hollywood. He also made a space to talk about actor sexuality and the option that you don't have to suppress who you are to succeed. And he has had endless documentaries made about him to showcase his life in his role in pop culture Hmm. and he was one of um he was one part of hollywood's first openly gay married couples Hmm. which to me i thought was just amazing yeah and i feel upset that i haven't even heard his name before um i think honestly to dig it up is something that is a factor which i don't really think should be apparent in this day and age but i think a lot of mainstream society associates the very readily available alive stars that you have to kind of keep up with because if you don't keep up with them, you're not cool.
1: Right. For sure. Yeah, definitely. There's like this old dusty feeling to looking back on old Hollywood like that.
0: But you need to remember where you came from, you know? Right. It's
1: and there. it was so well hidden that we could be watching gay stars now from the fifties and forties and thirties and not know it. Exactly. And it brings me to
0: another star um, her name was Janet Gaynor.
1: We're throwing in lesbians. Lesbians.
0: <laughs> and I wanted to talk about her life because she was someone who was in the media a lot for being a part of a lavender marriage. And I think a lot of people took it to the point where she was only in a lavender marriage because she married a gay man. Yet she was in a lavender marriage to cover up the fact that she was a lesbian. So it's it's a double lavender marriage. Yes. It was for both parties' benefits. Hmm. So Janet Gaynor was born to Laura Augusta Gaynor and Frank DeWitt Gaynor. Frank was a theatrical painter and paper hanger. And Laura was also a homemaker. She was born in Philadelphia on October 6th, 1906. At a young age, her father started to teach her how to sing, dance, and perform, which led her to star in school plays. You're gonna
1: booga booga for dad.
0: Yeah, he wanted her to succeed in every facet of life, so he wanted to equip her with
1: different tools. Do you get the reference of booga booga? No. Add to the list, we're gonna watch Superstar. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) So, her parents later
0: divorced, and her mother remarried, relocating them to Chicago, and then San Francisco
1: with her second husband. I know how this is going to get gay. <laughs> She's like, I'm married twice and I'm in San Fran. After graduating from high school in
0: 1923, she started to do stage work in various locations, which sparked her to want to pursue an acting career in Los Angeles. She then enrolled in Hollywood Secretarial School Due to her being hesitant to the idea of a career in acting. You know, your self-doubt, your inner saboteur comes right. out.
1: I couldn't possibly get naked on camera. And then it just happens. It does. It just <laughs> happens just like that. Like you split.
0: <laughs> and then you're comfortable with it, you know? Yeah,
1: you're like, sure, I'll take 10,000
0: euros. And she soon won her first professional acting job in December of 1924 as an actor in a Hal Roach comedy short, which led to more feature films and eventually her being hired as a stock player at Universal, and then a five-year contract under Fox. What movies has she done? So, she actually has a very lengthy film career. Okay. Um, She kind of fades in and out of the spotlight. Sure. Um, and I touch upon a couple films that really kind of solidified her career. A Star in a Feature Film by 1927, um, she had an image of a sweet, wholesome, and pure young woman. Her performance in Seventh Heaven love that show. (laughs) It earned her her first Academy Award for Best Actress in 1929, making her the youngest actress at 22 to win an award. But she was dethroned in 1986. Gaynor started to fall out of the spotlight due to her negotiations and withholdings for a better contract. Many different studios started to slander her in the papers, telling the public that she was stingy and money-hungry. Her frustrations caused her to consider retirement, but her career was revitalized through the role A Star is Born in 1937. Was this
1: the first go-round or the second? This was the first. This is the first Star is Born. This was the So first. she's the Lady Gaga of 1937. She was Lady Gaga of 1937. She's Depression-era Lady Gaga. She was the original.
0: Wow. What's her name again? Her name is Janet Gaynor. I want to remember this. Okay, I'm ready. in G-A-Y Gaynor. But not G-A-I. No, G-A-Y, she said, "Why, honey.
1: I put the gay in gaynor.
0: She did, because her parents spelled it G-A-I-N-O-R. And so she, she, goes, l- she goes,
1: no, I'm a lesbian now. Something to look into is whether or not the usage of the word gay, as in homosexual, was used this way. Because we know it was used as gay as in happy. To be honest,
0: I don't think it was necessarily a factor. I think it was just her wanting to change her name so she's not associated and okay. people can't find her. Fair. So, at this point... At the age of 33, she decided to retire from filmmaking. Because she had it. She's had it. Trollope. And in 1929, she married her first husband, named Jesse Lydell Peck, who was a lawyer. And they quickly separated in 1932. They were like, this isn't a good fit. Um, this isn't gonna work. For many reasons. Maybe one of them being the fact that she was a lesbian.
1: She wanted a V where he had a P.
0: Exactly. And then in 1937, she married Hollywood costume designer Adrian, and they had a son together in 1940. Wow. That's hard. Well, so this marriage was often referred to as a lavender marriage because Adrian was openly gay within the film community. Stop. So he's like, I'm going to just do it anyway. Yes. Wow. To pr- well, because he needed to protect his own career and she needed to protect Sure, her but career. he's openly gay and he's, he's married. But only in the film community. I think a lot of stars, I mean, a lot of fans had a speculation that he was gay, but they didn't want to
1: come out and say it because the fact that he aligned himself as a costume designer. So really it's a band aid. He's like, I might be caught gay, but people are like, oh, but wait, he's married to a woman. Okay. Yes. It's just about convenience, really. It is just about convenience. And they actually
0: remained married until 1959 when he had a a stroke and he died. So So that's like 20 years. They were married for almost 20 years. yes. Wow. Actually, they were married for 20 years. That's insane. Yeah. And she returned to film in the 1950s, appearing in her last film in 1957 in the musical comedy Bernadine. (laughs) Bernadine! In
1: 1964,
0: Gaynor married Paul Gregory, who was a stage producer and a man that she would remain married to until her death. So, on September 5th, 1982, Gaynor, her husband Paul Gregory, and actress Mary Martin and martin's manager ben washer were involved in a serious car accident a car had ran a red light at the corner of california and franklin streets look at me talking about like i know where exactly where i am in Los Angeles. i love
1: california and franklin you can buy the best meth there
0: um the car crashed into a luxury taxi cab in which the group was riding in knocking it into a tree ben washer was killed Mary Martin sustained two broken ribs and a broken pelvis. Oh my gosh. Gaynor suffered several serious injuries, including 11 broken ribs, a fractured collarbone, pelvic fractures, a punctured lung, and injuries to her bladder and kidney. Aww. And Gaynor's husband suffered two broken le- two broken legs. So he, like, was the least damaged from this whole situation.
1: Yeah, but his legs are broken, too. I mean, she's beat up on the inside and out. Well, the driver
0: was arrested on two counts of felony drunk driving. Reckless driving, speeding, and running a red light, and vehicular homicide Yeah, for killing Ben Washer. For sure. As a result of her injuries, Gaynor was hospitalized and underwent two surgeries to repair a perforated bladder and internal bleeding. She recovered initially, but continued to experience frequent health issues due to the injuries and required continual hospital care. She returned to the hospital for pneumonia and other ailments where she died on September 14th, 1984 at the age of 77. That's horrible. And she was buried at Hollywood Forever Cemetery next to her second husband, Adrian.
1: That's the gayest thing I've ever heard. It is the gayest thing I've ever heard. In the most heterosexual way, I think.
0: But it only gets gayer. (gasps) Sacre! So Gaynor was suspected to have a lesbian or bisexual relationship. People have pointed out that her marriage to Adrian might not just have been to his benefit to allow him to further his career, but also allow her to be in the spotlight. She was married three times throughout her life, which kind of speculates that, you know, things with men don't go so well. Three times over, at least. Maybe more. Mm -hmm. Keener was known for having at least two serious relationships with women. One was with Margaret Lindsay, and the other was with Mary Martin. Mary and Janet's relationship was the longest, and they often traveled together and stayed in the same houses with their husbands. Um, actor Robert Cumming is famous for saying Janet Gaynor's husband was Adrian, the MGM fashion designer, but her wife was Mary Martin. Hot! I love that! So, unfortunately, we don't know the extent of their relationship due to the fact that Keener died due to her complications from the crass, and Martin never spoke on it. But, to me, I think that Martin... Probably never spoke on it due to the perception of the time. Mm -hmm. And this brings me to the point of lavender marriages. Okay. So, lavender marriages can be defined as a male-female mixed marriage undertaken as a marriage of convenience to conceal the socially stigmatized sexual orientation of one or both parties. There were numerous lavender marriages in Hollywood, with some notably being, in 1923, Rudolph Valentino with lesbian costume and set designer Natasha Rambova. Sorry, that was mispronounced. Natasha Rambova. Um, Rambova. It, dis- oh. it disguised her relationship with Alla Nemzimova and his alleged bisexuality. Another lapner marriage was Robert Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck to cover up both parties' sexuality. Um, they were both bisexual, by the way. Mm. And then also Rock Hudson and Phyllis Gates, which was to cover Rock's homosexuality. And even though they were very popular in the early 1900s due to the fact that it was a stigma in the United States, as time progressed, the stance on LGBTQIA plus people has changed So, the amount of lavender marriages has definitely gone down for celebrities. Unfortunately, it can still be applicable today in some instances. Um, In rural towns where families are very homophobic, um, homosexuality, bisexuality, being non-binary, or being transgender is not accepted. It's also very prevalent in China after doing some research. Hmm. Um, same-sex marriages or the lgbtqia community are not accepted for gay chinese men and lesbian chinese women societal pressure to have a heterosexual relationship can be so profound that they often turn to lavender marriages or something that's called a cooperative marriage many report that these marriages do more harm than good and if individuals deny themselves the expression of their
1: sexuality outside of the marriage right i want to note the fact that When we say lavender marriages, we mean what you defined earlier about, like, a gay man marrying a beard or two gay people marrying each other to appear heterosexual. Lavender comes from the fact that pink and blue mixed together makes lavender color, even though they're two different sexualities. And this was also around the time
0: of the Lavender Scare. Correct. So it was very easily equated over to homosexuality. Right. As the color lavender also being a frilly color. Right. Which as a man, you didn't want to be a frilly man. You didn't want to be perceived as effeminate. And as a woman, you didn't want to necessarily be perceived as too effeminate to the point where you are liking
1: women. Exactly. Like you don't want to be too for women.
0: Yes. Okay. Okay and the reason i wanted to bring these two celebrity stars up is to showcase that homosexuality isn't a thing to be scared as as it was in the past it's something that should be celebrated and embraced because obviously these two people were able to live a successful and happy life however they may have died but it should be something that's looked back upon because it's something that should motivate people to do well no matter what
1: their sexuality or their gender expression is I think that's a great point. Absolutely. I mean, as we've said in almost every episode, our sexuality does not define us in that sense. It doesn't define our capabilities. So, interesting. The idea of lavender marriages is an idea of arranged marriages, obviously. Um... And Jamie, thank you so much for enlightening us on the golden age of Hollywood. And I want to kind of piggyback off of it. You're so welcome, and I'm so excited to hear what you have to share. So when you told me you were going to research Lavender Marriages, I was really upset because I loved the idea of it. I was jealous I didn't think of it first. Um, but we get the idea of the Lavender Scare from the fear that homosexuals have infiltrated the United States government during the Communist Scare, during the Red Scare, that's where we get Lavender Scare from. Um, And as you stated, it's no different to the Hollywood community as it is to the political community. And so I wanted to touch upon that with a little drama kind of flama mixed in. So are you ready to kind of revisit some old roles? I am. I'm so excited. So I am obsessed with old movies. I think a lot of gay people are obsessed with cinema just because it's so wonderful and an escape from reality. Um, But when you look into American history, this is a big part of our history. Just because it's moved so many people across the country. It's done so much for the country. But Hollywood was very gay in its golden era.
0: It was. Like you
1: said. And that's
0: why the lavender marriages were such a big thing. Because it was a way to squash mainstream
1: media from... Showcasing the LGBTQIA community. Amazing. I love it. Couldn't have said it better. So my point of view is, you touched upon the people behind the camera after they got off screen. But I wanted to touch upon gays on the screen at this time. So in front of the camera. I'm intrigued. You should be. It's super fun. Total me more. Um, so there's an incredible article on medium.com. I want to just cite my sources. That kind of walks us through... LGBTQ representation within mainstream media, which this would be movies at this time, um, film movies. And looking back on it, it's not great, Jamie. Can you imagine? I'm not surprised. No, exactly. So let's just dig in. I want to say that overall, homosexuals are not perceived positively in media, in the screen um, at this time. We're usually portrayed as crazy people, villains, sick, things like that or sometimes just complete negligence like in passing like it doesn't really make a difference so you talked about all these famous stars there were a ton of um, famous stars working in big screen films at this time some of them could have been gay some of them were not most of them were not obviously how many old films have you seen from this era jamie or can you think of any films that you've seen from the 50s the golden era of hollywood
0: Ooh, Something, I don't know if I can name them because I feel like I have a conception of a couple movies, but I don't know if, what like date they, they exactly were made.
1: That's okay. There's a lot of them. Obviously, Hollywood's putting out more films than ever. We're gonna go into a few that kind of portray queer characters, queer ac- queer queer people in film, and kind of analyze them. So Alfred Hitchcock writes an incredible screenplay for a movie called Strangers on a Tr- Sorry, called Strangers on a Train. And the villain in this movie is a little queer. He's definitely off, but he's definitely a little interested. And it was not portrayed in a positive light. The character was not at all. So, this is kind of the first thing that we're seeing in mainstream media queer people being portrayed. It's not really representation. It's characterization. It's stereotyping, essentially. Does that make sense? So it's putting us into a box of being a villain. Right. Or mentally ill or something like that. So, very interesting instance. This article actually quotes... um, This article says that the author of the book who inspired Alfred Hitchcock to write Strangers on a Train also wrote the book The Price of Salt, which was uh, the basis for the movie Carol, which came out in 2005. So this is a very... um, Homo, not homophobic, homosexual undertone story, and Alfred Hitchcock adapted it and used the queer kind of characterization as the villain, the antithesis, the, the bad guy. So Strangers on a Train is a big deal for, for the analysis of gay representation in film at this time. There's tons of other films that are cited as having been derogatory toward gay people in their view. Have you ever seen Rebel Without a Cause? I have not. So that's one of the first, like, old films that I ever watched, just because I knew that I was overly homosexual from the things I've heard about it. I'm like, that sounds gay as hell. And if you ever watch it, Plato, who's played by Salmoneo, he's kind of, like, the the guy who's, like, you're, you're nervous to be around him because you don't know what he's going to say or do because he's, like, kind of crazy. But he's very clearly portrayed as a homosexual. I mean, like, it is absolutely crystal clear that he is you can see in the way that he looks at James Dean in this film uh the actions that he takes when he's grieving against other people I mean it's just overly homoerotic I highly recommend it like one night when you're alone just turn off all the lights and just watch that movie and eat popcorn
0: I'll have to put that um, movie
1: on the list actually you definitely should a lot of people have analyzed the film and they essentially say that he's portrayed as crazy because he is gay and not accepted Because he, I think in the film he was raised by a single mom, so he didn't have this nuclear family. So it it portrays homosexuality as, like, a defect, as a, you know, sort of... not having a nuclear family. Right. So that's kind of what happens in, in mainstream media at the time. So if you've ever seen Cat on a Hot Tin Roof... It's a very famous play by Tennessee Williams that was adapted into a movie with Paul Newman, who I think was a super hottie. He was very cute. Maybe not at this time, but when he was young, love Paul Newman. I'm going to cue you into, like, a
0: little secret. I've never seen any of the movies you're talking about. Because. Oh my gosh, yeah. I. For me, I just, like, my film preference is,
1: like, I created with, like, a child, so I love animated films. I love Pixar. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean, like, okay, I'm not saying that these are, like, requisite movies, but they've been seen multiple times by different groups. Like, they have been around, do you know what I mean? In other words, I need to put these on my list to watch. I know what people are talking about. And you don't have to. I'm just saying, I think they're famous for what, they're famous for being Golden Era Hollywood movies, which was a famous period in, like, the creation of movies. Gotcha. So I'm not saying, like, you should know these, but a lot of these are very famous. And Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is, like, a famous Southern film. It's It's got racist undertones. It's got problems. But if you've ever seen the movie, it is, like, sad at how obsessed this man is with his dead best friend. Which, okay, <laughs> that sounds horrible. But, like, he is clearly heartbroken that his friend died, but not in a non-sexual way. Like, he clearly is, like... He lost a lover that was his true partner. Right. And he's plagued by his wife. His name's Brick. Watch the movie. It's weird and interesting and southern, but kind of like bad southern because it's like northerner actors playing southern roles. It's incredible.
0: I feel like this is like really reminiscent of Brokeback Mountain.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
0: I could see that being like an inspiration for Brookback Mountain. I have watched it like once or twice, so I don't really know the ending of the movie, but it, one of them dies, correct? <gasps> yeah. Okay, see, exactly. No
1: spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. You haven't seen it since 2005. It's disclaimer. 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 I just want to say that Elizabeth Taylor is in this movie in Burl Lives, which, who's Burl Lives? Whatever. But which, um,
0: bravo to Elizabeth Taylor. She was one of the forefront people fighting for LGBTQIA
1: rights. Amen. So in the seven year itch which is also a very it's like one of the most famous films of all time i actually haven't seen that one neither have i Shocker. but it, yeah exactly but there's a line in the movie that one of the characters is like walking down his hallway or whatever in his apartment building and he's like oh there's three the, oh three guys live in that apartment their interior designs or they're interior designers or whatever so essentially the implication is that they're homosexuals so this is the perception of gays within the mainstream media at this time Are you following along? Yeah, it's not positive. It's not great. Then again, is it ever with the gays? So my question evolves into modern day times. This this period of creation within the art community spawned pop culture as we know it, essentially. The golden era of Hollywood. The golden age of Hollywood. That's what it is. It spawned celebrity and fame and all of that, which is what kind of what we're all obsessed about now, especially in America. So now we have this obsession with movies and movies and actors. So we run into a problem as people are perceiving... Hold on, I have to think about this. Gay people still exist, obviously. We're still making movies. How do we portray them? Is it different from the golden era, do you think, of Hollywood? Or do you think it's the same?
0: Well, to me, I am equating the gold era and golden age of Hollywood as a time where gay suppression was very apparent. Mm -hmm. And in... I feel like in current times, the portrayal of gay people in film has evolved to a certain standpoint. Mm -hmm. And that certain standpoint is it's not as negative or as detrimental to be associated with gay people or identifying as a gay person yourself. However, it has reached a point where it shouldn't have, where a lot of times people who are not a part of the
1: LGBTQIA community are representing the LGBTQIA community. Yes. What an interesting question. So I think this kind of answers itself, but I have a question for you in response. What do these 10 people have in common? They are Olivia Coleman. Sean Penn, Hilary Swank, Charlize Theron, or Theron, I don't know how to say it, Annette Bening, Myra Ali, Jared Lita, Darren Criss, Nicole Kidman, and Rami Malek. They probably all played a gay role in film. And? They are not gay. Yeah, that's correct! Ding, 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 you got it! Bitches. I'm just kidding. Olivia Coleman was in the favorite Incredible film. I loved it. And I'm a homosexual man. She's not actually gay. But she definitely finger-banged at least two girls in that movie. Sean Penn was in... He was Harvey Milk. Um, Hilary Swank was in Boys Don't Cry. Charlize Theron was Eileen Mournos in uh, Monster. Annette Benning in a movie with... Um, she's a redhead. I forget her name. The Kids Are All Right, it's called... Mayor Shala Ali was in The Green Book. He played a gay pianist. Incredible film as well. Jared Leto was in Dallas Buyers Club. Darren Criss played multiple roles as a homosexual man. Um, Nicole Kidman was in The Hours, which I also, one of my favorite movies of all time. And Rami Malek was in Bohemian Rhapsody. He played Freddie Mercury, a bisexual, at least, man um, of high status. So these people are getting famous, getting paid for portraying queer LGBTQIA lives and characters. In the mainstream media. So we go from people having to hide it in their personal life just to play a public role, going to disregarding the private life of every queer person that's come up before them and playing that on screen as a straight person or cisgender cis-hetero person.
0: I've never seen any of those movies that you just mentioned. Really?
1: Yeah. I forget that you're 11, though. But,
0: I mean, at the same... But these movies have been out, so I Oh, yeah. Be these are, like, them, extremely
1: famous movies. At the
0: same time, there just is one, like, circumvental question that really rings in my head is, like, I don't understand what has turned the switch to make all of the straight actors want to represent the LGBTQ plus community. In you want to know
1: why? I think, is because we have compelling stories to tell in this day and age. And Which I think straight be... people are bored and boring. <laughs> but
0: it like... should be showcased by the people who actually have a connection to this life and who can who can better represent a certain instance than someone who might have lived through it. Correct. Like, if you look, like, Pose is doing really well, and they're representing the transgender as well as the gay
1: community. Do they have trans writers, though? Because I know it's it's produced by Ryan Murphy...
0: I'm not sure, but look at who's cast in
1: it. True. Dominique Jackson. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Who is has been so outspoken about the trans movement. So, like, in addition to Dominique, you have MJ Rodriguez, who, to me, I I think she is doing an amazing job in representing who is someone who's having a struggle. And their Instagram is incredible. And India Moore, Billy Porter like Ryan Jamal Schwein, The
1: representation is there for people who they're portraying.
0: And it is outstanding. And that's what should be the focus of the media movement today. Correct. Is, to me, the stereotype of the, you know, straight, you know, movie line can only be done so much so they are trying to come up with new representative ways to be a more inclusive kind of community but they're doing it all the wrong ways. Like, if you look at the new movie that was out, I think it was called Prom where James Corden plays again a gay man for and, and he was nominated for an uh, Academy Award which right. he shouldn't have been Nominated because he did not, one, do his research, nor should he have even been offered that role. Or he should have auditioned.
1: Do you want to do my part? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Just kidding. But I agree with your point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, there's actually debate with, not with, I guess, within the gay community, yes, the LGBTQI community as well, but... In the acting and movie filming kind of industry, there's a debate between whether or not straight people should be allowed to play queer roles. I think obviously... Not I think. We are obviously biased, but people say that queer actors get to play straight roles all the time. But I think that's not okay. I think that's a scapegoat.
0: But necessarily, I don't think that there had been an incident, and maybe I'm just ignorant to the depth of the film industry, but to me... I don't think that there is an overwhelming range of gay actors playing very prominent and big box office movies. Like, yeah, gay-era Hollywood, gay actors were closeted, so they had to suppress who they were. But in this day and age, Call Me By Your Name, for example, those were two straight actors— who played gay who played gay men at least bisexual characters yeah like please name an instance where a prominent gay actor has played a straight character I can't think of any and maybe that's just me not knowing the film industry
1: in its depth but I think but that's the point like you were talking about in Hollywood how people would have lavender marriages to cover up their gay so they can act straight on film that still probably happens to some aspect maybe they're not lying but they're not open to the public about whether or not they're gay and they may be open and out about it but they're not going to be like I'm gay and I'm an actor so essentially like I think it makes complete and total sense. I think it tracks still within, within, within Hollywood as a community that gay people are, up until very recently, not in the spotlight for a very targeted point of view essentially. So they're held with, they're, they're held out of the spotlight up until very recently and now when we're in the spotlight as a community it's not even portrayed by people within the community so that's a slap in the face which i was just playing devil advocates to your point and i think the big thing is i think society
0: has been trying to update itself where it should have been like i don't know maybe like 40 to 50 years ago maybe even like 70 80 years ago but the film community has not caught up to the standpoint where it should be, because this isn't only happening in the gay community; it's also happening within the racial industry, Correct. where people who are supposed to be representing a certain ethnicity are not that ethnicity right one hundred percent. And the the like Scarlett Johansson and Ghost in the Shell. Oh, see what I was bring what I was thinking about was Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, oh yeah, fully. A lot of the male representation of the Chinese in the Korean culture. culture, but it's a Chinese,
1: but that movie spotlights. I thought they spotlight like Chinese in that movie, like the Chinese culture because of the families keep going. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, But a lot
0: of them were Americanized. Like they have very Americanized faces. And to me, to use a representation of showcasing a strong Chinese woman, you should also have a strong Chinese male representation of full descent. yeah and maybe we need to cut this out and maybe it's getting off track but basically what i'm saying is this no. isn't, isn't just happening within the gay community it's right a thing
1: across the board exactly so yes it definitely does we'll get to that in a second because i also touch upon that but like you said earlier i mean there are straight characters getting awards awards for for queer roles that they play, so you brought up Timothy Chalamet and Armie Hammer. James both Gordon. heterosexual, James Corden, Nick Robinson in Love Simon. He's he yeah. plays the main character,
0: and he he um, was showcased
1: in a spinoff of that, which was Love Victor. He right. made multiple appearances as another gay man, right? Jeffrey Tambor in Transparent. Transparent's an incredible show. He's not trans, so. Oh he shouldn't be representing a trans person and telling their story. Um, And quite frankly, it kind of comes down in my opinion between queer writers, queer characters and queer stories being able to tell their story in their own way against heterosexual and cisgender people. I'm not saying that all cisgender and all heterosexual people are like this, obviously, but you know, within the community, I don't think they get to say who plays characters written by queer people portraying queer people about queer people. I don't think they do either, but at the
0: same time, I think it comes down to us as the viewer, is we're not holding them accountable. Yeah. And we're not calling for more opportunities for people of the LGBTQIA plus community to be those writers, those actors who get those roles. And I think it ultimately comes down to us just being complacent because even though we would love to see someone represent for our community. We're complacent in the fact that we've become accustomed to
1: certain stars and we mm-hmm. love seeing them in films because all of their roles are great. So, gray if, so if they're they going to be a straight gray. man and play a, a trans woman, then that's okay because we just want to see them so much. Yeah, and I think that comes down to... Us saying that that's not maybe okay. Yeah, I mean, you just stand up for that. Amen. It keeps happening, however, and that's a thing that happens. A lot of people debate this, by, like I said earlier, by saying that straight, gay people play straight roles. But the point here is that there are su- there's such a scarcity of queer and LGBTQIA roles compared to how many straight and heterosexual roles there are. And why wouldn't they be given to, like you said, people who have represented that, that view- viewpoint before, that perspective? So that's that on that. Like you said earlier, this doesn't just happen within the gay community, obviously, within different racial groups, within age groups, gender identities, obviously, within the trans community. There's a huge—I mean, I can't even think of a movie that I have seen that wasn't a mainstream movie that won an award that just portrays a trans person in a trans role. And that's something that I need to better about myself. But I know for a fact that within mainstream media that the transgender community is underrepresented in Hollywood, period. I mean, I just think across the board, socially. Right. And culture, obviously. So, like, culture is another thing that separates people within within Hollywood. So, my point of view is someone who... Um, this is a rant, but Hillbilly Elegy was a novel that was written by a man named J.D. Vance. And people there was backlash to him claiming that he was a hillbilly, quote unquote, because he was a well-off man who was put into a circumstance that exposed him to Appalachia, but he wasn't necessarily part of that. So essentially he benefited off of telling the story of Appalachia when he's not someone who had to live in that for an extended period of time. He left and went on. So it's the same thing for gay roles, or yeah, gay roles to straight people or roles of a different race given to someone. But I think that happens
0: a lot, because usually at the standpoint, if you're in a marginalized group, you don't necessarily have the means or access to be able to tell your story. And to me, that is something that is detrimental to not only our community, but as a collective as a whole. Because if you're exposed to stuff like this, you automatically become, I feel like, more inclusive, more accepting. And honestly, you know, I just feel like as a whole, a better human. Like, if you think about it, if we were able to, you know, be equals with how the straight media is portrayed, the world would be in a completely different place. Amen. But it isn't. It you isn't. Know? But that's why I think since there isn't enough representation from the LGBTQIA community, we as the viewers, we as the consumers, we need to demand for it because until we demand a change, the change isn't going to happen and things aren't going to
1: change. It's like a domino effect. For sure. And it's funny that you say that because recently, especially in the past five years, we've started to see a consciousness develop within like the group of actors in Hollywood where they realize that these roles, they should be turning down. A lot of them are offered roles because that's what, you know, production companies want to see. They want to see a major headliner playing this role, even if it's a gay role. Because I think there's this perception that queer roles are harder to swallow if it's someone you haven't seen before, like you said earlier. We want to see the same person. But I think that's just the perception. So I think that plays into it as well. But a lot of the, a lot of these actors and actresses are starting to realize that now's not a good time, you know, to do this. And it will never be a good time because we know better now. And also, at the same time, though, you're telling me that you can't
0: turn down a role because you made $38 billion off of your last film? Come on.
1: Right. I think, yeah, it just boils down to, like, consciousness. Like, does that actor really have that perspective? And I think a lot of them don't because they're not gay or LGBTQIA, and they just don't. So, I understand there is, like, some kind of human fallibility to it, but now that we have a bigger consciousness over this, like, as a society... Girl, don't be taking roles that don't belong to you. And I do think that
0: has to equate to the fact that there are so many new rising stars that are a part of the LGBTQIA community, or the fact that they are an ally. Mm -hmm. Like, look at Jojo Siwa. She just came out of the closet, and for all of the kids that she reaches, the acceptance... And the, like, equalness that they are going to learn from her right. about LGBTQIA people is tremendous. Right. And just think, like, I think millennials, Gen Z and Gen X or Gen, Gen Y, I, I don't really know my gens. It's, yeah, I think it's millennials and then Gen Z. But I think that with this new generation, there is a new fountain of accountability and representation that is emerging. And we might not see it in the next one year or two years but we might next we might see in the next five to ten and that is going to make all the difference
1: I mean it's all about representation exactly and that's why I love
0: what we're doing here in this podcast is I love listening to what you have to bring to the podcast because
1: ultimately at the same time it's something that I have never thought of ditto to you as well I mean these points are what what is happening two people of the LGBTQ community are putting their heads together over random points and finding commonality within them and in the same instance, I can't wait for us to expand and grow and
0: to continue to um, envelop a different standpoint. And whether that be us having you know, new guests on the show, I really can't wait to bring that to our listeners because I think that's going to bring a whole new wealth of knowledge as well as a wealth of understanding for people to move forward to be better citizens in the society.
1: Yeah, we really do this for the queer wigs. We want to... We want to teach each other. It's fun to learn, but it's so much fun to educate other people. So Queer Wigs, thanks for listening in this week. And honestly, I
0: hope that you have a great rest of your week, and I hope that you learned something. And toodles for now.
1: Toodles. Hey there, Jamie. Hey there, Austin. And hey there, Queer Wigs. And thank you for listening to our latest episode. That's right, and if you can't get enough of our voices, go check out our faces on Instagram, at Queers In Your Ears, where you can stay up to date on all things queer, our latest episode updates, and what we do IRL. And
0: also, don't forget, we wanna hear your voices. So leave a review on your favorite streaming service, whatever that may be. And don't forget, and don't be shy to give us a shout out or tag us as we want to be able to grow our Queer Wig family. Because without you, none of this would be possible.
1: Bye, Bye Queer
0: Wigs!